pretty good weekend for sports, Mr. Shannon, wouldn't you <laughs> say? Like, uh, I don't know, no matter what you're interested in, there was something for you out there. Hmm? Yeah, uh, and the, you know, in southern Ontario, the weather was so good. I, I, I must admit, I did feel guilty being inside a little bit. Now, yeah, I did. I did. It was such such a beautiful weekend, Bob. Well, and um, hopefully we'll have many more of those, but you never know. By the way, happy uh, Victoria Day. And the same to you, John. I know that uh, you'll be uh, celebrating with a um, uh, one small firework. No, no. We're, uh, in honor of Queen Victoria, uh, a, a, a tea and a biscuit. When is the appropriate day, by the way, to actually set off your fireworks? In my opinion, July 1st. <laughs> well uh there's some of that too yeah but the interesting thing about the may 2-4 weekend is that uh well i there have been fireworks here every night friday I night know. saturday night and and sunday night yeah well and i we i got i was at a neighbor's place and uh, we got into this conversation like when when are you supposed to set off your fireworks if you've got them july 1st no it wouldn't it be tonight doesn't make any I, I don't understand why you do fireworks uh, on on the on the queen's birthday uh, celebration i don't i don't fireworks for me are for canada day no other day you wouldn't set up fireworks if your team won the stanley cup or the uh, no. world series or something no <laughs> no 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 well then answer another question for me given that there are very few days where uh fireworks are appropriate even in some jurisdictions allowed. Correct. Why are fireworks stores open 12 months a year? I have no idea. Well, I had, I ha by the way, I, I'm not a fireworks guy. Well, I, neither am I. I mean, geez, I, I mean, I, I, as a kid, we used to get firecrackers. And then, you know, when my neighbor, yeah. it, it, when his neighbor almost blew his finger off, uh, we weren't allowed to have firecrackers. Well, you get those, what are those things that the, you give to the little kids? And sparklers. Like, sparklers. Sparklers. Yeah. Sparklers. That's okay. Yeah. But, but even, uh, even those, come on, stop it. Well, I had a sparkler on my birthday cake last week. And Bob, Bob, I don't know how, I don't want to know how many sparklers were on that birthday cake. No, there's only one. Th th that, that could have been a forest fire, man. No, that, and that's the reason there was only one. We are <laughs> anyway, now at that, belated are happy now birthday, at that Robert. point where the fire department must be called if there are an appropriate number of candles on my cake. Belated happy birthday, Robert. Well, thank you, but bah humbug. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, so we're going to spend some time talking about golf. Uh, Ian Leggett and uh, Richard Zokel are going to uh, join us couple of former tour players what a story but we um we have other things to discuss um you know what came into focus last night i think for the first time for me last uh yesterday was the blue jays uh went to the bullpen in the ninth inning what was the name of the guy they brought in to close i don't know Bob. Do you, okay i'm just blanking on his name i should i should know but it's a revolving door out there and the rule is you have to face three hitters now. Correct. Hence, you put three fingers up. Correct. Um, and he walked all three. Yes. I believe. Well. And wound up, the Blue Jays are up 4-2 going to the, uh, the ninth inning. And Chatwood came in and he couldn't find the strike zone and uh, gave up a hit or two. And, and then, well, whatever. 
Um, but it raises this question for me. I mean, I understand the theory behind it to speed up the game. But let's be honest. When, when games are three-plus hours and you would like them to be two-and-a-half hours, this is a rule that is relatively inconsequential and severely impacts the game. Well, and, and, you know, every time the rule changes are made, not just in baseball, but in any sport, it's the residual effects that, that, that really cause the problems. Obviously, this rule was put in place because of all the changes that happened in the fourth, fifth, sixth innings. I wonder if you change it uh, to allow for a ninth inning, you, you know, you make an adaptation to change it so you can, you can. Oh, so just, up, a, so before the ninth inning, you, you have to face three. Yeah. Why not? And then, and then, and the ninth inning, you can, you can go back to the normal, which is if you can throw one pitch, if you want. Right. I like I mean, that. Well, I, I mean, by, cause by the ninth inning, we know how long the game is going to be like forever. You know? Yeah. I, I hadn't thought of that. And I, um, uh, I, so I think that's a good idea. That's a compromise of sorts. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it, to me, it's it, it, like the, what comes to mind is the coach's challenge uh, in, in hockey. Coach's challenges don't exist in the last minute of play from the teams. They can only be put in play by the league uh, or in overtime. Coach's challenges, the teams can't do coach's challenges. That's only put in play by the, uh, by the NHL office. So I, it, to me, that makes some sense. Do you like the concept of a coach's challenge in general? No, I don't, but that's okay. I, I, I do like, I, I would like the league to run them all. I, 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 that to me would make more sense. Somebody impartial that you're the, and by the way, the league has done a, a solid job. They had a, they had a really good, uh, a, a coach's challenge actually on a goalie interference in, in the Boston Washington game yesterday. And it was, they made the right call and pull, called a goal back and it just resolves so many issues because otherwise it, the controversy would be on for days and days and days. Well, I'm okay with all that. Um, except there are occasions like when the, if the league is doing a challenge, does play automatically stop until they say, go ahead. Uh, well, here's the, the, the magic of technology now is well, but answer they the could, they could no, but they can actually in, in the Toronto office, Bob, they can actually look at these things as play continues. Well, I get it, but that's problematic if you want to rewind the clock. Well, no, but the, you, but the, every, everything is all yeah. And I understand what you're saying. What if a goal I, uh, is scored, um, and the challenge is they they, they well is, we've had, we've had that German we've, yeah. we had that in the Winnipeg uh, Edmonton series in Game One where the puck went in the net nobody saw it go in the net the play continued for eight and nine seconds the bu- the NHL stopped play and said bye. The, the the puck went in the net. It's two one Winnipeg. Don't bang your microphone. You just cut out for a second there. Be careful. I'm I'm getting excited. Well, I'm I'm glad to see at your age you can still get excited. <laughs> uh, so um, we have tonight. Wait a sec. We have Toronto Montreal tonight. We have Winnipeg Edmonton tonight. Five games tonight. So, but those two games, the two Canadian teams, yeah, serious. Yeah, um, hard to believe when Edmonton can come back after that collapse. Um, and there is a, a there is a sense, and I don't know whether it's real or not, and I probably am asking the wrong person this, but would Edmonton is Edmonton at a disadvantage in that 
they don't get a day to think about it, analyze it, figure it out? Uh, I think you'd rather play right away. I do too. I think you'd rather just get it over with, you know, like, you know, we had our meeting this morning, we screwed up, you know, we've got to fix this and drop the puck and let's play again. I think that's probably beneficial for the Oilers. Yeah, the dilemma is that Edmonton was the better team for 52 minutes and, and Winnipeg was a much better team for eight. Well, not even eight. Not even eight, Bob. Maybe I mean, not. It, it was probably about three and a half minutes. You know, that that's the frustration. And it wasn't just one guy. I mean, this this was major breakdown of lots of players, including Connor McDavid, who made a bit of a mistake. So, well, was, if you live in Toronto or if you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, it brought back um, memories of that Boston series where the Leafs were uh, in game seven right. of that series, had a 4 1 lead going into the third period, had dominated the game and looked well on their way to advancing mm-hmm. and gave up three goals and then the overtime goal. Right, right. Uh, identical to that. Uh, and if you're an Euler fan, you can go all the way back to 1982 uh, where the, the Oilers had a 5-0 lead in Los Angeles in the third period. Uh, and the Kings scored, it was called now known as the Miracle on Manchester in LA, uh, where they scored five goals in the third period and scored in overtime. I mean... Oof. Uh quickly, Toronto and Montreal in Montreal, no fans yet. It'll be game no. six if necessary. Right. Have the Maple Leafs righted the ship now? I think so. Uh I, I think so. You know, that's uh uh you, you know, I think they learning how to play without John Tavares was an important part of, of game two. Uh game one, I think people I think they played the rest of the game in shock after the Tavares injury. Um, uh, you know, Montreal's had to make an adaptation. Cole Caulfield, the, the young kid out of Wisconsin, will play tonight, uh, hopefully to score some goals for Montreal. Thomas Tatar is out. So uh, it's going to be, a, it, 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 to me, again, I'm, I, I'm not a Maple Leaf fan. I'm not a Canadians fan. To me, it's just uh, the Leafs are that much better and that much deeper. We shall uh, find out whether um, momentum was created by one game and one victory by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, a momentous weekend of golf. It was uh, a major, the PGA Championship, on a uh, a great, intriguing golf course, and I want to spend some time talking about that. Yep. But it was the result that everybody is um, still discussing. Uh, Phil Mickelson becomes the oldest player in the history of the game to win a major championship, and really, it came out of nowhere. Mm. Ian Leggett, Richard Zokel will join us when uh, we continue after these messages. It's Bob McCowan. It's uh, John Shannon on the program for this mm-hmm. uh, Monday. Uh, busy weekend in sports. If you like baseball, uh, basketball, hockey, um, and a variety of other things, uh, a major golf championship on the uh, on the weekend. And. I know guys come out of the blue, even in majors, to win championships. But here's what I heard. I heard that Mickelson in Vegas was a 300-to-1 shot to win this uh, tournament. And based on his recent performances, with the exception of a couple of wins on the uh, Geezer Tour, um, he was a legitimate 300-to-1 shot. But there he was, holding the trophy at the end of the day. Ian Leggett, Richard Zokel, uh, join us. I... I Dick, to you, I uh, you can't help but be surprised, shocked that Mickelson 
um, held it together under pressure because uh, this was not an he won by two, but this was not an easy win for him. This was like oh. a this was a, a colossal roller coaster, wasn't it? This, this was historic. It was in so many different ways. Nobody gave Phil a chance at the start of the week. Um, he shot 64 a few weeks ago at, at Quail Hollow. He was making progress in his own mind. And, uh, but no one gave him a chance. No one really even gave him a chance going into the final round, playing in the final group with Brooks when he had, mm. a, had the lead. But he had, uh, and, and, and that mind thing in, in, in Phil's mind, that was the thing, the catalyst that, his, that he shifted. And he's obviously been working on something. And we got a little bit of a glean into his perspective in his post-round interview where people, he was pushed, pushed for that question, what is it about his mind? And he talked about he didn't want to get into the spirituality side of it. because So he's doing something, and he's talking, using these words, trying to get into the present moment, stopping that noise and the distractions that he used to have. It, uh, it is the future of, um, of performance in any type of anxiety performance uh, situation and uh, it was great to see it was his mental perspective that allowed him to make history yesterday Lego one of the things that was brought up repeatedly during the telecast was Mickelson's demeanor in so much as he was he appeared calm he was walking quite slowly um, he he seemed to have he took his time with shots he didn't rush anything and this kept coming up over and over and over again. And as I watched, I kept thinking, well, I, I guess that's true. I wonder if this, and I'm thinking to myself, is, is this a guy who's trying something, learned something, or just a 50-year-old who doesn't move as quickly as all of us used to? <laughs> I think he's learned something here. I think that when you look at this too, it's interesting to me how much he's talked about the distracted mind as of late. And whether that's an age-based thing or he's just come to, at the age of 50, this revelation of the, you know, sort of the morphosis of, of, of Phil Mickelson. But for us watching, and I think that you can probably speak to this too, how many collapses that we have seen when Phil Mickelson has had an opportunity to win. And what really caught me, and, and Zoe can speak to this uh, really well, is the way he finished that third round. Um, it, the old Phil Mickelson came out, started driving it erratically, but his demeanor did not change where in the past, when that has happened, we've seen club slamming. We've seen him come out of his element. He speeds up. Uh, we've seen the shoulders drop, the head drop. Right. Uh, we did not see that. And, um, so is that the evolution it's taken 50 years to, for Phil Mickelson to figure that out. And does he look back on his career and go, man, what I could have done, just the, just the thought of, you know, I was expecting, and I don't know about anyone else, but uh, he, he, he changed a lot of uh, beliefs and people yesterday. Cause when that tee shot went off on 18, I still, when he stood over it, I was still had wing foot in the back of my mind <laughs> <laughs> and what happened there and would not have surprised anybody if that would have happened, but it didn't. So again, the evolution, Zoke, I mean, and where he's come to, he didn't dive into it. He's talked a lot about meditation individually with his wife and trying to get himself to focus again, which, you know, you've done a lot of research on this. Yes, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And you're absolutely right, Lego. You know, 
various uh, evolutions that he's gone through, you know, his self deprivating talk uh, after the 18th tee shot at Wingfoot in, and, you know, he's called himself, he, I'm such an idiot. So, I mean, those things are very destructive in all aspects of our life. He doesn't do that. So when, and, and th- when you play, as you know, things get a little unstable, the champion just stabilizes and they don't, they don't freak out. Phil used to freak out. Now he's Absolutely. not. So he's getting centered. He's got some thought protocol, some mental disciplines. You can't expect to get on this track and have this thing fall in your lap. Bill is a very open-minded guy and he's open-minded to two drivers in his bag. He's open-minded that coffee is going to make his game better. He's <laughs> open-minded to this. He's open-minded to that. But now he's kind of on this spiritual track and you don't have to be spiritual in order to get it, to have a protocol to get you in the present moment. The, the, the key thing is, is having a thought protocol, a thought fitness that gets you on this track. So I, let, Bob, me ask let me, you, let me, uh, you know, Shani, just let me jump in here real quick. Cause something really popped into my head this morning, reading the, you know, reading a lot of the articles and one that popped out really surprised me, not knowing this Phil Mickelson never won the money list was never world. Number one, never yeah. won player of the year in his mind. I think he's got an opportunity of following in the career of tiger woods where he had no chance to actually, if you want to call it, rewrite the record books. Now he does. Tiger Woods is not going to make it to 50. Phil Mickelson, in his mind, now has an opportunity to continue to win, potentially. Does he win a U.S. Open? Does he have that opportunity this year at Torrey Pines where he's won before, now that he's got a major and he's got this belief in himself? He's changed perspective. I've always said that Phil Mickelson's loves to win and Tiger Woods hates to lose. And I think now he's changed that perspective around how he approaches the game and has an opportunity over the age of 50 to do something that Tiger Woods running parallel careers will not be able to do. And he's got that opportunity to set himself apart. Well, it makes his 40 plus wins in his career that, you know, it's, there's no asterisk beside it. There doesn't need to be, but he won 40 plus times. With playing against Tiger, you know, as often as not, um, nobody else did that. Um, we, we know, we know he has greatness in him. Uh, John, you wanted to jump in, please. Well, just uh, Richard, you, you were talking about the mental side of the game. Um, uh, the physical side of the game to me, like this is the leanest I've ever seen Phil look. And that has to be part of the process as well, isn't it? Sure. Absolutely. There's, there, there's no doubt you have to have the physical side, which means, from a swing perspective, you have to have the sound fundamentals. That has to be in place. Then also, in addition to the physical side, you have to be in physically shaped, particularly when you're 50 years old, you, you, you aren't in your prime and you're playing against guys like Brooks Kepka who are in their prime. And so the physical aspect is, is, is a must as well. It's an essential, but once you got it, now it's on, then it's a mental thing. Here's another thing that happened with Phil. He's the only person to be to have won a major who's after they've been inducted into the hall of fame. That's something I heard this morning. That's interesting. Tiger's not, to Leggett's point. That's not, Tiger's not going to do that. Nope. You know, and, 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 you know, and he, he won and, and earlier on as a, he was in college at ASU when he won in Tucson, the same tournament Lego won as an amateur. So 
Tiger didn't win a, a tour event as an amateur. So, there, you know, he's bookending a couple of things that are pretty spectacular. Well, the other thing that was, I think, noteworthy, um, Mickelson's always been a good driver of the ball in, in terms of distance. He's always been one of the longest guys out there, although that's often understated. He's not usually the number one guy, sometimes not even thought of in the top three or five. He was hitting it by Kepka <clears throat> yesterday as often as not. And had that one drive of what, 368, I think it was? 66, yeah. On, 66? On, yeah, yeah, on 16. How, how do you, okay, you you two uh, brain surgeons, um, how do uh, those of us over the age of 50 <laughs> gain yardage um, as we get older? I mean, this is all technology, isn't it? Go Lego. No, I don't think so. I mean, there's a physicality to the game, and this is what we're seeing now. We're seeing, you know, athletes playing the game uh, more so than not, where, you know, we're not going to see a lot of Tim Herons coming out on the PGA Tour. You know, we have Harry Higgs out there to sort of carry that banner for the, you know, the overweight set if you want. But again, athletes are playing the game. Brooks Kepka, you look at him, you look at Gary Woodland, you know, these are two sport athletes. We look at Corey Connors, we, you know, pretty much every Canadian on tour has been a two sport athlete and they're coming out as athletes. So we're seeing the speed that's generated through the physicality of the game, but going back to the old age thing here, I mean, I think that what's happened here because Phil Mickelson is physically capable to align what goes in his mind, you know, all great players have a library of great shots that they hit. And there's a feeling and a sense that when you put that club in your hand, that you are going to physically be able to execute it, which actually triggers the mental component of it. Now, we can talk about back and forth, which comes first. And, you know, the old adage of, you know, Hogan said 90% of the game is mental. But if you're physically incapable of executing that shot, the two do not line up. And they lined up for Phil Mickelson because he's physically capable of executing the shot. Therefore, the mental capacity was able to trigger. Now, it takes a lot to be able to finish it off, as Zoak knows. And that's exactly what he did yesterday. Richard, was it an, is it an advantage to play head-to-head -head with Kepka in, in that final group? It is for Phil. It is for Phil. Some people succumb to that pressure. Phil wouldn't and didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, so it yeah. depends on the personality, what, you know, what your perspective is. Uh, and to add to what Lego said, you know, I think flexibility, natural flexibility plays a big role. Yeah. As I got to fit, I had a short, tight golf swing, so it helped me in my prime, but it hurt me as I aged. I think Brandel Chambly makes a strong case constantly about flexibility as you get older, that Sam Snead had the flexibility, Tom Watson had the flexibility, and uh, Phil has the flexibility. So when you get into their older ages, where it's limiting to some, it's a, it's a significant... It, you know, it, it's, it's an advantage for him. Now, keep in mind, Phil was so loose in his prime that it added to his exponentially dispersion patterns off, the, off uh, his drivers, but it's helping him today. Conversely, did it, did it hurt Kepka to be playing with, with Phil? No, no, no. Kepka is, uh, is an interesting dude. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and he's polar opposite in Phil. And, and, and Kepka is a guy who wants to look you square in the eyes and, and take you on. But um, I think uh, his polar opposite, I think he has a petulant attitude. And, uh, you know, he's choosing to, um, 
live and die by that sword and he's making he's not performing he should have won that damn tournament yesterday quite frankly he 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 had seven shot lost events just on the par fives well that was shocking wasn't it and, well yeah. i mean it's he he failed to perform and and if you're going to stand up there with that superman cape and stand in there and and be a, a, effusive from the point of view of using um um bad language in interviews and be petulant there's no there's not much margin for error so um there's not a lot of patience for that and uh, so he's not he, he doesn't have the humility which is unfortunate what we're seeing with phil is his graciousness is overflowing now that's another aspect of this i i'm only convinced yeah. that it's his spirituality that he's being more grateful and in, in it's part of his evolution. And, and we'd certainly like to see uh, Brooks Kepka evolve to a better person, particularly in those interviews. I'm, I'm I think we saw that as well. I mean, with, with Tiger, I think as the age and yes, those uh, opportunities absolutely. become less and less, I think that you look at the past and just, <clears throat> they're just not taking it for granted anymore, Zoak. And I think yes. that's probably what we saw exactly it's, from Phil. It's like, he, went, he even mentioned it. I may never win again. Yeah. And I think that he is just gracious for what the game has given him. And you're absolutely right. If Brooks Kepka took a little bit of that attitude, it would completely transform our perception of him. And yeah. I think it would help. His I performance. think it's emotional maturity. We watch Tiger mature. And, and I'm not talking about F-bombs that happen in the, in the heat of battle. I'm talking about in, in, in Tiger used to stand in there with his you know, with his arms crossed and, and this scouring look in interviews and you can read his body language. And, uh, but, but to use, to choose to use profanity, F-bombs in, you know, what he did at Augusta National and then this week. And, and then now we see Tiger who he is. He's evolving and I'd like to see Brooks get on that track to evolve as well as a, as a more mature uh, person. This is a common story in sport, but mostly in golf. I mean, I, I have great recollection of the beginning of Jack Nicholas's career. I mean, I was, I was very, very young. And so, you know, like most kids, Palmer was the guy. And, and here came this guy from my hometown, ironically, who was uh, big, fat, if you will, but um, really good. But he had no personality. At least he didn't have the personality to be able to compete with Arnold. But over time, he learned to soften his personality and become warmer and become more well-liked. And I talked to him about it and he acknowledged it. Tiger has done the same thing. Phil, I don't think was among, I don't know if you guys know definitively, but he was not the most popular guy on tour no. for a lot of years. Big In fact, <laughs> a lot of guys couldn't stand him. You're, you're being kind, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. Do you think that has, is changing, has changed? Will his victory yesterday make him warmer, fuzzier, more likable? Lego? Oh, yeah, well, I, I think in the eyes of the players, absolutely. And I, I think that when you look back on it, I think that he wants to, you know, Phil really cares about how people think about him, where I don't believe that Tiger Woods did. Ben Hogan definitely didn't. I you know, when you look at that, and I, I you know, Arnold Palmer just had it. Arnold Palmer absolutely 100% cared about what people thought about him or else he wouldn't have done, you know, approached it in the way, but that was just in his natural nature. I think Phil has gotten to a point again, the evolution, the maturity, as Zoke says, of how he is perceived 
not only by the public. Like I've witnessed it, him treat players in the locker room incredibly poorly, disrespectful, oh, and then stand out there and sign autographs for two hours afterwards. So, you know, there's, there's two sides to Phil Mickelson. And I think now he's probably looking, you know, at his closing years is how he's perceived by the players. He's become a much friendlier person, no different than what we saw with David Duvall when he lost, uh, you know, his game as well. Um, it, there's just a maturity there as we age in the game and our perception of how we compete and how we're we all see by our competitors. It's interesting. I, at, at, at the end of the round yesterday, when he was walking, I believe it was to the uh, scorer's table uh, to, uh, to see Ricky Fowler come out and congratulate him. To me, that was an indication that there, there has been a few bridges built between Mickelson and the rest of the tour players again. Yeah, I think so. I think the yeah, I think the turn happened when Phil's wife and his mother had cancer about ten years ago. Back in the in the after two thousands, that decade, I, I didn't like Phil at all. And then when he started to be more humble, when his wife beat cancer and his mother beat cancer, the world's perspective came in on him. He started to shift. You noticed a change on him. Now he's gracious. So hmm. uh, again, I think that speaks to the evolution of Phil that, that Lego was talking about. And uh, he's a much better person. I like him. I, I was rooting for him. I, wanted, I want him to make history. And, uh, and I think he's being endeared by the world right now. Well, um, among my group, um, when you said Phil Mickelson, uh, the phrase phony Phil. Um, yeah, was Fig the one Jam. That was, was... His name was Fig Jam. <laughs> yep. Uh, and yet, if, if, if Phil Mickelson walked <laughs> down the 18th fairway with Tiger Woods, you know who the crowd was cheering for? Absolutely. They were cheering for Phil. So um, a bunch of stuff. And I want to talk about this golf course. Uh, when we come back with uh, Ian Leggett, Richard Zokel, we'll return after this message. It's McCowan, it's Shannon, it's uh, Ian Leggett, Richard Zokel on the uh, day after the PGA Championship. Hey, can I ask uh, one about uh, one shot to, uh, yeah. before you get into the course? Uh, Richard, uh, the sand shot on five, the chip in. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, I kind of viewed that and I was trying to watch 16 other things at the same time, mm -hmm. but I viewed that shot as the shot that kind of uh, stemmed the tide and turned things around and then pushed the momentum towards Phil. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. It was, I think it's, it, it was very, uh, Oh gosh, you know, those guys came out and there were five, two shot swings on the front nine. That was one of them. And, and it, it, those are momentum changing in the moment. And there's no doubt it, it was a huge event on the front nine. But then once we got onto the back nine, I think a couple of tee shots that he hit on the back nine were key. But uh, absolutely fair to say, John, that that was uh, very key. How do you control your emotion after you do that? You have to. You have to. Your emotions, whether they're up or down, you have to get on and stay in. The, so you have to put it behind you. And Phil used to get too excited. And that's part of the problem. If you stay too excited, it's not like hockey where you can hit someone harder into the, into the corner and get some uh, valve release uh, <laughs> golf. You have to contain yourself and, and, and you have to, it, that's why it's so mental where you have to ask your question. Okay. This shot right now, doesn't matter about that shot. I just can from the waste bunker. It's this shot right now that's the most important one. And what do I have to do to assess it? What do I have to do to execute it and get back into the present moment, leave that past behind? 
Uh, one more before we uh, talk about the golf course. Uh, we, I think all four of us probably use guns on a regular basis uh, on the golf course for yardage. Oh. And um, is this a good idea to allow it in tournaments and especially major tournaments? Is this the future? Um, or do you have a problem with it? Lego? No, I, I don't have a problem with it at all. I mean, this is, you know, this is just technology advancing the game. And I mean, everybody's allowed to use it. Every aspect of every competition, USGA events now, you're permitted to use them at the amateur level. This is going to be the future. You know, it's it, we're a year or two away. Maybe, you know, uh, that would be the timeline. You're going to see guys playing in shorts here soon as well. So, I mean, practice rounds are permitted, short yep. wearing. And it's, you know, this is just... We gotta we gotta move with the times in the mm-hmm. game now. I don't think we're gonna see guys playing with their shirts hanging out anytime soon. And but this is just the evolution of the game, and uh, the, you're gonna see it more and more and more. I think it's great for the game because I think caddies and players can spend way too much time over analyzing all these yardages when they need to go to a book. And now if they're both carrying, you know, lasers, I, I think it speeds up the game substantially, which is definitely something that impacts. The reason why people do not take up the game of golf, because one of the reasons is it just takes up too much time out of their days. Richard, agree? I I think it speeds up play for the average golfer. Um, I don't think it makes much of a difference to the tour player. The the most important number for the tour player is the front of the green. Then they get the distance to the pin. So the, the range finder can zoom in on the pin. But it, but you don't you have to do the math or do your homework before to know what it is to the green. So you don't you won't see a lot of range finders by used by tour players. You'll see them pull it out when they're way off the uh, you know in another fairway and they don't they haven't don't have an easy access to a number. But uh, I think there it's a great aspect for average golfers. Absolutely, uh, the ocean course. Um, it is not it's not that familiar to. Uh, television viewers of of uh, pro golf it's we've seen it before it hasn't really become a a staple on the tour it is um, a very intriguing golf course it's a very difficult golf course it is a very long golf course it's 7800 if they play it from the back is it a good test for um, a major championship Richard to you first Yes, it is a good test for a major championship. And uh, Lego knows where I'm going to go with this. I also think it's a Frankenstein, as I said before. What I mean by that, this is perhaps on that piece of land, which is, it's on Lynx land. Lynx meaning pure Lynx land, like linking the ocean and the, and, and the farmland or where we live. And to put a Pete Dye golf course on it where it is anything but Lynx, Pete Dye does not give you the option to play the ground game or the higher handicap level player options to play. He forces you to play one way and his way. And if you can't play that way, you get hammered. So same as TP, it's TPC on steroids on Lynx land, which is unfortunate because if you had a Ben Crenshaw or a Tom Doak put a golf course on there, it would be the, one of the most remarkable Lynx golf courses in the world and there's very few there's there's such small pieces of land that allow for links uh golf in north america lego 
I, I love it. I, I think it, it, you know, you want a major championship to challenge every aspect of the game. And as, as Zope knows, and, and, you know, Bob playing Pete Dye golf courses, optically, they're challenging. They play tricks with you. Fairways are wide. Don't look wide. You know, greens right. do, you know, you can't see greenscapes and things like that. He disguises them with bunkers. So the one thing that I do like about this place, which is a little bit different, he, he did, you know, remove some gravity of the difficulty that he has put in on greens on other golf courses to make it a little bit more playable. But this place, by the way, if we remember previous events here, this place did not show its teeth for four days. Right. We've seen 30, 40 mile an hour wins. And, you know, for six thunder to win this golf tournament or five under whatever the final score ended up being, I mean, it would have been well over par if this place and you would have seen some guys out there, you know, they might still be out there as a matter of fact. So this place did not show its teeth, but I think it would be a fantastic opportunity if the PGA picked it as a rotation and just put it in there every five or six years, because I think it's a fantastic venue for such a, for a golf course. It challenges every single aspect of your game. And Pete Dye is the best at, at, at challenging the mental aspect of hitting every golf shot. I'll tell you from the, view, the viewpoint of a television viewer, uh, this is as, as, as much fun as I've had watching a golf tournament, because when you get down to the final round, the danger, that makes you click off the television is a runaway or predictability. And this golf course, you can make any player can make any number on any hole mm -hmm. disaster. We saw this repeatedly during the round yesterday with two shot swings. How, mm -hmm. how often do you, how often do you see two shot swings in one group more well, than do you, once do you, do you in a recall, long time? Do you recall Mark Kalkovecchia in the Ryder Cup playing against Colin Montgomery <laughs> on the 17th yeah. hole? He was hemorrhaging so bad. He got off the golf course. He walked to the ocean. He was probably on suicide watch. It was the drama that it creates. You're absolutely right. Is is um, second to none. I think well, they mentioned it on the air yesterday, too. I mean, you know, Montgomery finished bogey, bogey, double bogey the last four holes four down with four to go and won all four holes and tied out <laughs> so, i remember the view watching that thing so where he wandered off into the ocean <laughs> they had to go get him they, they were concerned they, had to go get him. <laughs> they were concerned oh, this was uh, uh, this was not good when you talk right. about when you talk about uh, putting it in the rotation ian uh you know i'm a I, i've been following golf a long time the pga championship was always the fourth event it wasn't the second event does that bother you or does it matter what order the play, the, the tournaments are, are played in Ian no I, I think it's actually elevated the you know standing of this event primarily yeah, because of where it sits on the schedule and you know it always has been the weakest one not necessarily because of you know the quality of play but I think the excitement around that event sort of dissipates because it is the fourth major also, too, I think when you look at it, it's had a history um, of not always playing the greatest golf courses, you know, as far as in our minds anyway, because mm -hmm. the USGA, you know, gravitates to those great historic venues, even though they've made some bad choices over the last few years. But, you know, when you start with the Masters, and I was thinking about this as well, this could be 
one of the greatest years of, ma of major championship history, just in promoting the game of golf. When you think of Hideki Matsuyama winning at the Masters and mm -hmm. what that has done to the Asian game, mm -hmm. what it has done for Phil Mickelson to pull in, you know, the 50 subset into the game, who knows where the next two majors goes? There's an opportunity to see something very, very special this year. Where's the U.S. Open at Torrey this year? At Torrey yes. Pines. Yeah. And then the British is where? At Troon, I believe, right? Yeah. Well, and hmm. like most British Opens, uh, weather will, will dictate. Uh, but over by but over by the middle of July, that's the fascination to me. I mean, I mean, golf the golf schedule has morphed itself into, you know, I'm sure because of the FedEx Cup and all the other stuff. And Well, yeah, the golf season's over by the end of August, essentially now, right? Yeah. It, it, well, yeah. Well, they're trying to rebuild that playoff system, which, they, you know, they've changed every rule in it for the last decade. So, Yeah, it was the smartest move that the PGA ever made was to shift it when they saw that opportunity to shift it into the springtime. It, uh, it, it took them from the outhouse to the penthouse. Last Royal St. George's. Royal St. George's this year. To oh, okay. So, yeah. so last question. Um, this is a rather unique golf course. And I guess when Pete designed this thing, uh, there's no trees. Uh, there's lots of wind and there is a crap load of sand. Um, but a lot of that sand is not deemed as a bunker. Um, how do you feel about that? Is that a, a one-off? Is that contrary to you know, the way the game should be played. You like it, you don't like it. What are your thoughts, Richard, first? I love it. I think it's great. Waste areas. <clears throat> when I built a golf course a few years ago, I'm of the opinion that bunkers should be penal and, um, and, and, and you're, you shouldn't be entitled to a perfect lie. I like the fact that they're using this wasteland because people are in it. They do it at Whistling Straits as well. Right. And, 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 you know, you we have evolved in North America to have pristine conditions. And I think it's hurt the game. I love the whole aspect of having a natural uh, uh, aspect to the game because the winds blow the dunes around. And if the golf course didn't have the grass on it, it would be constantly changing. That's what dunes lands is. And that's what perfect links land is. And, uh, but uh, I love that aspect. I think it's great. And um you know, Augusta National wouldn't do it, but uh, I like the uh, the contrast. Ian, you like the idea? I love it. I, I'm, I'm there with Zoke on that one. I, I think that when you look back at it, I mean, too bad they didn't adopt that in, in play when Dustin Johnson, <laughs> you know, didn't know what was a bunker while he was whipping around, yeah, uh, you know, point. the straights, right? So, I mean, he'd have another major championship if that weren't in play, but we don't always have to play the game. This is not an indoor game. And, you know, it changes from day to day, no matter whether you play the same golf course every day at your home club or you go somewhere else to play. I love the aspect of no rakes, you know, play it where it lies. And I think this place lends itself perfectly to that. And I, I agree with Zoke. I think Lynx golf, you know, really, you know, lends itself more to that type of opportunity where, you know, just throw the rakes away. And when we're coming out of COVID, who knows where a lot of this goes, um, you know, there's been a lot of changes in the game of golf that are going to be put into play as we move forward. Yeah. Um, in conclusion, uh, Lego, you made a comment earlier that um, I think you said the game was 90% mental. 
Um, <laughs> it reminded me of uh, a Casey Stingle quote, who, like you said, uh, baseball is 90% mental and the other 50% is physical. <laughs> so you, I the, think the, we can the golf saying is is, is uh, golf is ninety percent uh, mental and ten percent psychological. <laughs> hey, does, does this make uh, this uh, Tory Pines? Uh, is it conducive to Phil's game? And does this make Phil the favorite at, at Tory? I I, I I I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, yeah. You know, U.S. Open golf courses are very different than PGA golf courses. So very punitive. You, yeah, the the first of all, uh, in the PGA Championship, Phil can play shots that are not in the fairway. U.S. Opens, I don't know how they're setting it up, but if they set it up to a conventional U.S. Open, I don't think Phil will have much of a chance. But if he believes he can, then Maybe. I believe he can too. <laughs> Guys, time is, time is our enemy. We must off. This has been most enjoyable as it always is. We look forward to having an opportunity to chat again, uh, maybe after the next major. Thanks, boys. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thanks, Jens. Ian Leggett, Richard Zokel. We'll come back and wrap it after these. Bob McCown, John Shannon. Again, our thanks to uh, the golfers, Ian Leggett, Richard Zokel, former tour players um, uh, today. We did not get a chance to talk about Corey Connors, who got off to a brilliant start, had the two-shot lead at the end of round one, mm -hmm. came back with 75, I think, in round two. and 73 in round three, too. Yeah, so. never really got, uh, got it going. Finished out of the top 10. I think finished tied for 17th. Um, some general thoughts on on him, a learning experience, I suppose. Oh, I, I think so. I mean, unfortunately, we didn't see very much of him on the weekend. I mean, that's the problem when you're watching uh, a major golf event on a U.S. network. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think any time that you, we can get put a, a Canadian in the top 20, uh, it's just another presentation of how, how good our golf is getting. And a guy like Connors is, you know, he's made a difference this year. He's had a hell of a year so far, and hopefully it can keep up. Yeah, he has really been um, quite consistent and yeah. uh, is starting to get recognition. Um, needs now that breakthrough. Yeah. You know, needs needs another win or a, a win of some magnitude. Or get it or get into a head-to-head -head battle in the on the final day in the final at the very course, least, yeah. In the, in the final group. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's got the game. I don't know, you know. If he can get the putter going, uh, he can beat just about anybody out there on a given week. Uh, we must off. Hey, Bruce Boudreau tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, yes, the former coach. Maybe soon to be coach again. We'll see. Gabby, when we, uh, or when you rejoin us. That's it for today. Have a good one. Bye-bye, everybody.